Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are doing our top 20 defensemen list. We uh, took last week off and took a little bit of a break, but uh, we are back with some more stuff. And there's honestly been a bunch of news that has dropped since we last recorded now that we've taken uh, a bit of a break as well. So let's go through and go through a couple contracts that have been signed here, Chase. Uh, And I'm just looking back and I'm honestly not sure what ones we got and which ones we didn't. Um, Do you remember if we talked about the Gabe Velarde contract or not? I think we did. Okay, so... We could be mixing up the trade, but I thought we did. Actually, I don't know if we did, but yeah, I don't have much more of a take. $3.4 million seems like fair value for both sides. If I was Winnipeg, maybe I would have tried for a little more little more term, but that's the only kind of, like, take I have for that. Like, he'll be worth $3.4 million. Yep. Yeah, good player. It's kind of a run-of-the-mill RFA contract for guys who are good but not great. I think that makes yeah. sense. Yep. Uh, another one we're going to get into. I'm going to skip one, and we, I'll. Uh, it'll make more sense in a little bit in a couple minutes. But uh, let's go right to Ilya Samsonov. Gets one year, three point five five million dollars uh, via arbitration. He was asking for about four point nine, if I'm not mistaken, and the Leafs were at like two point six or something like that. So basically, comes down right in the middle, anyways. But one year, three point five five. Again, not much to say about arbitration other than being an NHL arbiter must actually be the easiest job in the world where you can just split the middle of basically everything. Um, the best. But uh, I, yeah, like I, I think if you're Toronto, you're very happy with this. He gets one more year to, to prove what he is. And if he backs up what he did last year and he kind of prices himself out, so be it. You, uh, you have another year of very cheap goaltending and that's what Toronto needs right now. Yeah, it's a win-win, I I think. Um, hopefully for his sake, he can go cash out after he excels this year. And yeah, it, it, it makes a ton of sense for both sides. It's a little cheap, but goalie contracts on the whole are pretty cheap right now. So I don't think there's a ton he can do about that. Yeah, I think maybe he's probably a little disappointed. But I mean, at the same time, like you want to talk about uh, cheap. Philip Gustafson signs a three-year deal. Three years, 3.75 per 11.25 total. Phil Gustin had like a 940 save percentage into March last year. Um, you yeah, know, he was like a legit <laughs> Yeah. And he signs the almost just a slightly higher cap hit, but for three years. So he locks himself into this. Uh, I think this is a fair deal, though. I, I think everyone kind of acknowledged that uh, that was a very inflated save percentage for a guy who has been up and down. So uh, Gustafson, much like, uh, you know, Samson has been doing for the past couple of years. Gustafson's going to get three years now to prove he's a legit NHL starter, and we'll probably try to cash out when he's 28 years old. Yeah, it seems like the classic kind of bridge contract for a goalie, which goalies are the one position I would be very happy to take that kind of deal on. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with a guy like us and where he's shown upside, but you have no idea. And uh, same idea with Jeremy Swayman, three goalies really in the same spot here. One year, $3.475 million. Swayman's the younger, youngest of the three. He's 24, Gustin 25, and um, Samsonov's 26, but all three guys are guys who should have shown great upside at times, some downside at times as well, and are just trying to figure out where they kind of fit and all sign with it basically the same cap hit. It's kind of funny how similar the AAVs all, all are together, right? For how mm. differently all of them, like all of them took completely diverging paths to get there. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously we'll get to our goalie list next week. I would assume all three of these guys will at least be on the list or 
if not maybe honorable mentions, I haven't really started to look at it yet. But, um, you know, long-term outlook, I think I like Swayman the most of the three. Short-term outlook, I kind of like Samsonov the most, if that even makes Like, I think Swayman's got a higher upside, but I think Samsonov's floor is probably a little higher. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Samsonov probably has the highest floor of all of them. I think Which so, because even like... good team, that's probably your primary concern in that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think Samsung kind of showed last, because even like Samsung's down years, it was like, well, yeah, he wasn't a good goalie, but it's not like he was like disastrously bad. Whereas like Phil Gustin had an 860 in Ottawa the one year. Like, yeah, like he, he got absolutely filled in. It just didn't look like he belonged in the league, which, yeah, again, Samsung's struggled, but it's never been like, yeah, this guy isn't an NHL goalie anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, um, a pretty similar age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, speaking of the Senators, signs a one-year deal with the Ottawa Senators for $5 million. Uh, I absolutely love this as a Sens fan. I think this is a great uh, one-year replacement for Alex Dabrinkit. Obviously, you know, it would have been better to probably just get Dabrinkit signed. But as a, a turning point, they go with Kubalik and Tarasenko for some added depth for this year. And it'll be interesting to see what they do next offseason with about $8 million in cap space between the two. Um, I was a little worried about Ottawa. I mean, I still am. A little worried about Ottawa's forward depth before this move, but I really, really love this move. And I think for Ottawa, this is absolutely what they needed to do because their forward core just is a lot more insulated now. Yeah, it should be able to help push some people down, assuming, especially if you can keep them off the top line, which I, they should be able to do, I would think. I don't know exactly how they're going to make it work out, but as long as he's in like your middle six, I, I don't definitely don't mind the bet on somebody with some upside, some some scoring touch, some ability. Like He has amazing puck skills, right? He's not going to yeah. be a defensive driver for you or anything. That no, I, and that's actually why I think he might be on the quote-unquote top line because I I could see him – I mean, I don't know. They'll, they'll juggle the lines up quite a bit, I think, but I could see him playing with Stutzla and Kachuk in terms of those two are both possession machines, especially Stutzla up the middle of the ice is just crazy. So yeah. if you can get him with two guys who like carrying the puck up the ice or like handling the puck, and Kachuk is obviously is a puck retrieval uh, machine as well, I, I kind of do see a fit there. But he would be very clearly the third best player on the top line and would be there, I think, more as a trigger man than this is your third best forward. Yeah, exactly. Get get Stuzzle some nice shots, um, like maybe through a couple sticks that uh, the median NHL player wouldn't be able to get you through and then just finish an extra goal or two that the median player wouldn't be able to score from Stuzzle's passing into Chuck's ability to make space. Like, I think that could make sense. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and then... You know, I'm really encouraged because apparently, you know, Tarasenko also had offers from Carolina and Florida and I think another warm climate team. And when I first heard that, I kind of thought it must be Ottawa weaponizing their cap space. Because let's be honest, $5 million is a bit of a risk in terms of there's a a, a world for sure where Tarasenko is not a $5 million player. But for only one year, I just don't care about that. But the reports were that Carolina and Florida were offering equally as much, if not even slightly more. And he chose Ottawa. Um, that is really intriguing to me and just encouraging because that is the first time I can remember that ever happening is, is uh, in my time as a Sens fan. Yeah, it's going to be fun to hear because I don't know if that has ever been said. About uh, especially Sens. over like Carolina and Florida. Yeah, a couple of contenders. And, yeah, and it's not like it's 
like Anaheim, warm climate, but still a high tax rate. And the team's not very good, right? Like I can see if it's versus like Ottawa or Anaheim or Ottawa or San Jose or something like that. It's like, well, both those teams aren't going to be very good. At least Ottawa, you can see taking another step forward this year. Carolina's a legit cup contender and Florida, think about what you want, just went to the cup finals. Yeah. And players, rightfully or wrongfully, tend to be pretty short-sighted on that. Like, I guarantee you players are going to think of Florida as an elite team because, and really, who can blame them? Yeah, they just went to the cup final. Carolina obviously is too. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'm extremely happy, and, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, speaking of Anaheim, Troy Terry signs a 7 by 7 before his arbitration hearing uh, this week. Um <laughs> man, <laughs> I don't know about this one. This is really, I love this deal. Oh, wow. I, I'm i not as sold as you. So sell me on this deal, I guess. Troy Terry has been good while young on a dog shit team. I, I'm in. I'm into it. He actually has half decent possession numbers on a team, or at least uh, like our APM estimates on a team where possession went to die last year. At which point, I like to bet. I guess. I don't know. He's just not young anymore is my problem. Like, he's twenty turning 26, I think, yeah, this he's year. Five already. Yeah. So, like, like I, I don't know. I don't think it, it's not going to be a contract that, like, absolutely kills him or anything like that. And he'll be, yeah, he'll be 26 in September. So, when the season starts. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Like, on one hand, I do think it's probably not his, like, it's not, he's not the primary issue in Anna. And that is very, very obvious. But also, like, he was supposed to be one of those next waves of guys who really took them forward. And the team absolutely cratered this year. And again, like, I don't know how much to blame necessarily of him, but I don't know. I, I think as the cap goes up, this will be fine for sure. Um, the terms, I don't know. I, I just, to me, I think there's more risk than maybe you're insinuating here i don't know i don't think it's that that risky like he's been a seven million dollar player through this far despite having no help yeah he's got pretty good he can't do a goddamn thing on the power play um yeah like in the back of the net i guess he scored yeah yeah i guess he scored 37 goals last year or two years ago now but yeah and a lot of that production's at evens and always has been for him which maybe you would see him. I don't like it. It feels like they're Anaheim's always a weird team because it feels like they should like, even with how dog shit the rest of their team is, it feels like they should have a fine power play. Like you got guys with skill. Like Z, obviously Zegras is one of the most easy to watch players, even if the on ice results don't necessarily show that. Um, yeah. Drysdale's got all kinds of skill, and Drysdale's been hurt here and there as well. But. Um, I don't know. I always find Anaheim a hard team to, to judge because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, they're bad, but also how much do you blame for, like, obviously it's more to blame on the bad players than the good players, but are we giving the good players too much credit? Yeah, I think some of that with, like, Seagrass specifically where people talk about him, like, he's this up-and-coming, like, number one center, but he's probably closer to the Caulfield territory of, like, He's worse than you think, and that's why the team is bad. Mm-hmm. But Terry specifically, like I, I think in a perfect world, you're you're one of the best teams in the league because Troy Terry's on your second line, right? But I'm fine with that for seven by sevens or his prime. 
Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you're selling his isolated impacts are really solid as well for and they have been for like five years now. Like he's been a quietly I don't know how much he influences it, but his like hockey viz has his isolated five v five impact as he's been a positive defensive player by a lot for like four years now. Um, so that's encouraging as well. Um, yeah, I guess like yeah. as the cap keeps rising, even if he maxes out at a sixty point player, like seven million dollars isn't bad for that at all. Yeah, exactly. You get good play driving numbers, specifically decent defensive results, and say thirty goals and sixty five points. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think definitely. Um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see if he can take the next step because that, that's the only way I think this will be an absolute steal of a contract. Whereas, like, it could probably yes. end up being fair value, and honestly, one that maybe people look negatively on if Anaheim doesn't take the jump that they need to, because then I think people will look at Terry as one of the reasons, fairly or unfairly. Yeah. Definitely. I think if Anaheim fails, though, it will be because um, Zegris, Carlson, and McTavish aren't a cup-winning center core. Yes, I I agree. Um, it, it shouldn't be on the back of 26-year-old Troy Terry to lift this team out of a, a rebuild. But Exactly. That's the other nice thing. Playing somebody like him with like a young Leo Carlson, probably pretty nice, I would think. Yeah, He's and the only winger that would make Carlson's life easier on this entire team. Yeah, and like you just kind of hope that he has the experience of like, like we just went through this with the Ducks of like four years ago, five years ago, they were supposed to have their core of, you know, Troy Terry. People kind of treated Silverberg in there as well. Max Jones, though, as well. And um, definitely missing one more name. And there were a couple prospects, if I remember correctly, that just didn't do anything. Yeah, they just all kind of fizzled out, and Troy Terry became by far the best of those, and hopefully, you know, he can help lead the the young core of the Ducks four now, because, uh, you know, they definitely have some very, very intriguing names, that's for sure. Yeah, they're going to be a fun team to watch. The other thing, too, is they've got a lot coming defensively, which... I mean, the defensemen are all offensive defenders, but <laughs> the team itself was like a historically bad XGA team, so just having puck movers instead of Robert Hag or whoever was there last year. I don't actually know the Ducks decor from last year, to be honest, but I know it was not good. Might be might be a breath of fresh air for Terry and them. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so the Ducks still need to sign Drysdale as well uh, and Trevor Zegras, oddly enough. I didn't actually realize both those guys were out due contracts this year still. Yeah, Zegras um, specific. I would have guessed yeah. that would have been it. The Zegers one is going to be really interesting too, because that's a guy where, again, like highlight machine, face of the franchise kind of thing. But if you look at the underlying numbers, it doesn't justify like the, I'm sure like 10 by eight or whatever he's probably asking for. Yeah, exactly. It looks like the team is bad because his results are bad, not because, not that his results are bad because the team is bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that'll like, be interesting. Obviously, I'm sure he has more to give, but he's not like mm-hmm. a first line center. No, and like yeah, like it's and that's kind of an underrated. I don't know. We we got a whole episode here, but that's kind of an underrated part of the Ducks is that they really do. And why I'm I'm very happy that they I'm not going to say stumbled into Leo Carlson or anything like that, but that they they drafted Leo Carlson this year. Um, you know, again, you could you could probably argue whether that's the right or wrong call at two, especially with Fantilli on the board, but. Getting a centerman at least 
in this stacked draft. And then let's let's be honest, even if you like Fantilli a little more, Leo Carlson's still a very, very good prospect. That is yeah, crucial. Both first overall pick level centers. Yes, exactly. And and that is crucial because I'm not really sure Trevor Zegris is going to be the the number one center people want him to be, especially because he's already 22. And, you know, again, I don't know if Mason McTavish is that either, but you kind of hope that the three of them together, or maybe you slide Zegers to the wing, if that's what you'd rather do now that you have Carlson and McTavish down the middle. And, you know, I'm sure they have a couple other prospects in the minor league system as well. Um, maybe that's a, that's an option more instead, but uh, yeah, they, they drafted, uh, what's it, Nathan Gotcher, uh, 22nd overall last year as well. So he's a centerman. Maybe you try and look to slide, um, Zegers to the wing because just what we've seen in him so far. I just don't, yeah, obviously if he's your number one center, I don't think this team's going to be near good enough. Yeah. The defensive results are really bad. It's not like he's a, he's a great defensive player just watching him. So it wouldn't shock me if a, a move to the wing kind of saves him or he can just be like an offensive passenger. Mm-hmm. Might be a nice touch. Yeah, Carlson and, specifically is very good, like two-way center too, which is probably better to have as your one C than Trevor Zegers just trying to do the Michigan and stuff out there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one massive center contract. That guy who did just cash in though, Sebastian Ajo. Uh, he has one year left at his, I think, eight point eight million dollar contract. So this won't kick in until next year when he's twenty-seven. But eight years, nine point seven five million dollars for seventy-eight million dollars on the dot. Uh, Sebastian Ajo locks in long-term with Carolina, the classic 27, 28-year-old contract. Um, I mean, I, I like this deal. Simply, obviously, I think like any eight-year deal, the back couple of years could be sketchy, but Carolina is an obvious go-for-it-now window, and $9.75 million for the next four or five years of Ajo is going to be extremely good value. Yeah, this deal just makes so much sense. This is probably Ajo. Uh, like Ajo's really good, but I kind of doubt he's getting a bag after this deal. So yeah. this is your chance to cash in. This is Carolina's chance to get everything they can out of you. Well, they have a legitimate cup contending roster, and it seems pretty pretty reasonable both ways to me. Yeah, I I completely agree. Where you know Ajo still gets seventy eight million dollars, um, but on the other hand, it's not like it's a contract where he's making 11 and a half, 12 million dollars because he's not that tier of centerman where he probably is right around the nine, five, 10 range. And, you know, maybe even slightly above that market value in terms of like purely putting value to a number wise, but, you know, within the NHL structure of things, this seems right around reasonable, if not a slight discount for the team for the next, the first couple of years of the contract. Yeah. And I think by, by 33, he might, kind of get some of that back but mm-hmm. right now yeah i'd probably go as high as 11 on a, on a one-year deal or whatever to keep them but yeah it just makes really good sense all around yep and and that's the the class thing is when he's 33 or whatever that's in five years that'll be near five of that contract if carolina's still competing in six years that's a better problem for them to have you know yeah exactly so uh, all right. Well, that is all the signings, except for one. But again, we will get to that in a second. Uh, let us go through. Let's go to our top 20 defensemen now. Uh, always an interesting list because, as we kind of mention every year, unlike uh, forwards and, um, you know, the, the forwards and even slightly goaltending as well, but definitely the forwards more than anything, uh, you know, 
it's very easy to identify who's a talented forward. You know, um, despite what your dad says, it's very easy to watch someone like William Elander go out there and identify him as a good forward. It's a lot harder to do that for guys who play defense because good defense is the lack of stuff happening. So, you know, your, your eyes just aren't going to be trained to watch for that. Um, so it always makes these lists a lot of fun. I'm going to run through our last year's list real quick. Uh, honorable mentions, I had Brodine, Brody, Latang, Cider, Doughty, Petrie, and Anderson. Um, my top 20, starting from 20 down, went Riley, John Carlson, uh, Kylington, Heiskanen, Theodore, Pulak, Hamilton, Shabbat, Pellick, Spurgeon, Uyghur, Ekblad, Slavin, Tanev, Yossi, Taves, Fox, Hedman, McAvoy, and Makar, number one. You had Kylington, Hanavan, Chitrin, Shabbat, Brodine, Riley as honorable mentions, Wierenski, Tanev, Latang, Pulak, Carl, John Carlson, uh, Slavin, Uyghur, Petrangelo, Theodore, Hamilton. And then from top 10, you had Heiskanen, Pellick, Yossi, Spurgeon, Ekblad, Taves, Fox, Hedman, McAvoy, McCarr. So we had the exact same top five last year. Be interested to see what we do this year. Let's start with some honorable mentions. And Chase, there was one name I didn't mention who signed a contract. Do you know who that is? And his here is why. Oh, God, who was it? It is the one and only Vince Dunn. Signs a four-year deal at uh, $7.35 million, uh, $29.4 million total. Uh, Seattle got burnt on trying to unbridging a guy. Let's let's call it what it is. Vince Dunn absolutely exploded on the scene. He is my first honorable mention on this list because he is of a number of guys I have here where – I just want to see it for another year. Um, with Dunn, I you've been beating the Dunn drum for a little while, actually. You know, obviously not as a top twenty defenseman, but it's a very useful defenseman. I absolutely believe he could be in this range. Um, but he had such a good year this year that was unlike anything we even like us as some of his biggest supporters had seen before. That I need to see it for another year before I, I truly put him on this list completely agree i i left him off completely on the same same grounds was like we, yeah we've loved him as like a sneaky good like buy low candidate for so long and it's, it's you know it's always fun to be right but the like go, on ice goal pace just so dramatically outpaced everything for vince dunn that for especially for a defenseman the easiest way to get burned is buying an on ice shooting percentage heater from a defenseman so uh yeah, color me a little skeptical of that. But if he does it again, I mean, he absolutely will belong on a list like this. And honestly, fairly high if he does it again. He was that good this season. Yep, absolutely agree. And that's the other reason why I'm a little skeptical of this contract. Again, I don't think it's going to be like brutal or anything, but I saw people calling this like a steal. Um, I don't think it's a steal. Like, I mean, obviously, if he repeats his exact season last year, it would be. But there's a reason that was an absolute out of nowhere career year. Yeah, there's there's serious downside risk to that. And it's not like like he's he's been pretty good. He was good offensively, even the underlying numbers were strong, but but he doesn't have a recent history of being like amazing defensively or anything to fall back on either. Like the offense, you really need to stay good, at which point there's pretty big downside risk because the offense has not been automatic in his career. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh yeah, you you wanted that second facet of the game, so um, it'll be interesting to see if this is who he is now. Or and and I I do think there is something too as well. Um, you know, 
I, I hear it all the time of not a bad team. Seattle's not a bad team by any means, but it's not like they have that number one star defenseman. So it's like someone needs to take that ice time. And if you were just an okay player playing much better because you're in that role, I mean, credit to you, you have to actually play that role. Look at what we just talked about with like Troy Terry and Anaheim or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, is that your true value? Maybe not. Yeah. What what does he look like on, on the Canes decor where he's competing for touches or somewhere like that? Yeah, 100%. So, um, yeah, I, I think he had an amazing year, and that's why I want to give him some credit, uh, but couldn't put him on the list. Two other players I had, uh, I, I have more confidence. Obviously, these guys are going to be better longer, uh, but same idea of just I want to see it for another year. Evan Bouchard, Nolan Powers. Okay, I had similar honorable mentions. Both of those guys were on. Okay, yeah. I added Sanderson uh, to that as, like, young. I could see them popping and being high on this list next year. Yep, exactly. I uh, I kind of had Sanderson in my head, but didn't uh, didn't put him on quite as much um, just in terms of – I think Sanderson definitely gets hit in terms of his underlying numbers don't look as good just simply because – um, he played a lot of the year with Travis Hamannick and had to lug him around, but Sanderson's one of the few guys on this list where I can say just watching him, it is very clear. He is a very good NHL defenseman already. Yeah, exactly. And like, I would have voted power over Sanderson for the Calder, but like Sanderson had to bear exponentially more defensive responsibility than power, which is quite the luxury that power was given that Sanderson was. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, and then the other two guys I had that just missed my list. One was uh, simply a guy that I, I just had off because he was so injured this year, and that's Zach Wierenski. Um I still think when healthy, he is probably a twenty top 20 defenseman, but he was hurt literally all year. So I left him off. And then Mikhail Sergachev is another name that um, took more responsibility, I think, this year as uh, uh, Hedman kind of takes a step back. Sasha was hurt as well. I don't think like I think this is kind of Sergachev's ceiling but again he was in that kind of 20 to 30 range in my in my opinion so I threw him on as an honorable mention as well I like that that makes sense um similar kind of story I had Ekblad as an honorable mention not because at his ceiling I don't believe he's top not top 20 he's probably top eight when he's playing as well as he can but he's either been hurt or struggling two of the past three seasons at which point it's kind of difficult to just be like Yes, he's better than Chris Tanev, who's been great the whole time, or something like that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I did have Ekblad up on my list, and slightly above Tanev, I, I won't lie. But I definitely agree where I struggled in terms of, I 100% agree with that, where I went, how much should I dock him for not playing versus every time we've seen him play, he's been very good. Yeah, and it's it's tough with Ekblad, too, because he's strung together a lot of injuries over a young career. That's the thing. and It's like it almost feels like two separate spots. Like he had the concussion issues early in his year, in his career, where we were like, is this dude ever actually going to play again? And yeah. then from recently, it just feels like it's been a lot of fluke stuff with like broken bones and whatnot of like, this isn't doesn't feel repeatable, but like it just keeps happening to him. Yeah, it's just maybe he's just genuinely unlucky like you know he's young enough he could totally bounce back and honestly i'm not gonna be shocked if he's if i'm sitting here next year saying that he's 10 because if he's elite next year it's a pretty easy sell 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I have them on my list uh, up a little higher. So we'll get to them in a little bit. But uh, did you have any other honorable mentions? I had grouped together uh, Brody and Rodine. I had both uh, them on my list. Uh, Brody was originally who I had 20 and then kind of forgot about a few names. So I, I bumped him down a little bit. Um, very like it's funny hearing Brody's name being shopped around because I, I very, I feel very passionate. He is in that 20 to 25 range basically right now, which is so weird. And Brodeen's a pretty yep. good name for that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brody's Toronto's best defender. He's the only leaf defender I thought about putting on this list, to be honest. Yeah. Especially with how poor Morgan Riley's regular season was. I mean, if you really feel heavily about playoffs, Riley would shoot up the list a little more, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all around Brody, especially as Brody kind of struggled with playoffs and Riley excelled. But I mean, I, I don't think Brody's like a playoff choker or anything. I'm not going to hold that against him. He just yeah. doesn't have the offensive ceiling of a couple of guys. Yeah, I I agree. Um, all right. Well, is let's get into our list then. Uh, do you want to start off with twenty? Yeah, at twenty, I had a guy that I I really struggle with because um, he's a weird profile. Like statistically, I had Quinn Hughes. Ooh, this is interesting. So I had Hughes up my list. Okay. Let's hear I I had him all the way up at, uh, where did I have him here? 12. Okay. Now, he is a weird profile in terms of like, we've seen some boom and bust, and I feel like I'm probably leaning into the age slash high end a little bit, um, but he had a the phenomenal year sure. last year. Yeah, he did. On a bad team. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, I, I think I lean a little higher with him, especially with how shit his decor was, the fact that he could look that good. And honestly, I don't like, I don't love Vancouver's four core last year either. Um, the fact that he could look that good and it's, you know, a, it's from a lot of puck moving, which I think is uh, a very encourageable skill to keep repeating. Uh, like he, he ranked second in the league in goals above replacement last year. Now, obviously goals above replacement you need to take with a, a little bit of a grain of salt um, when it comes to defensemen for sure. But um he was the only guy higher than him was Vince Dunn. And we just talked about uh, how insane of a season Vince Dunn had. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem with like Hughes specifically with goals about replacement is like Hughes has not been a great play driver, but he has been a great goal driver. And that's a weird thing because two things are happening with Quinn Hughes that usually I think are noise, but I think there's both true with him. His goals outpace his expected goals, which for a defenseman, usually that's borderline meaningless because most defenders are an eye shooting percentage driver. But when you watch Quinn Hughes, you can see the passing talent. And I buy that, you know, he gives his teammates better looks than the average defenseman. And then his expected goals against are always way worse than his Corsi against. So he's a big quality against problem. Again, usually can easily be noise, but like if you want to tell me the 510. Um, kind of offensive dynamo is struggling to prevent high danger chances against. I also buy that. So like, he's just this really, really weird guy where usually I see something and assume it's noise, but with Quinn Hughes, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think both of those make sense. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, sorry. I'm just also going through my list and realizing I uh, left someone off completely. Now I'm trying to figure out where the hell to put them. Um, That's tough. Feeling. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it is a tough feeling. Um, yeah, like I, I just uh, again, he's a guy. It's so high variance where it's like, and so much of his value last year came at even strength too. Where it's like, I don't know. Like, do you when you see that? Do you, do you think of a guy who creates a lot offensively, even strength? It, is that more repeatable or less repeatable than like someone who you feel better that you know he's going to get his power play points or whatever? But is he going to keep up even strength offense? Yeah, I'd rather see it at even strength. Like that part's very encouraging. Like I, I do think he's going to be a legitimately great driver of goals for going forward. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, I I do think that uh, for him to take that next step into you know kind of like the the high skin in or even Fox area where I think people probably thought he was going to be a couple of years ago. Um, definitely, his all round game needs to improve, and by quite a lot. Like you can't just get by nothing but offense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To to really move up, and you don't even need to be like amazing, but a lot of these guys turn it into at least somewhat of a strength. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, all right. I, at 20, I'm changing my list on the fly as we go here. Uh, Matthias Eckholm is going to be an honorable mention for me. He was who I had right on the edge of my list here, um, but I'm going to bump him down because I forgot someone that is a little higher on my list. I have Eckholm kind of high up. Or not kind of high, but I have him on the list for sure. Want to get into Eckholm Because he was going to be my 20, but I'm going to make him my honorable mention number one. Okay. Yeah, I, I had him 15. He yep. looked like he was declining, and then he exploded on Edmonton this year. Like, he just looked like a changed man, and he's got a lot of great history. Like, I don't know where's the highest we've ever had him, but I think he's probably been a top five or eight defenseman at some point in his life, so... We've seen it kind of with guys like Dowdy to a lesser extent who kind of look like they're struggling as the team trails off. And then as the team improves, they look better. And Heiskanen seemed to do a more, or um, Ekholm did a more extreme version of that going to Edmonton. I buy it. I think he's exactly what Edmonton needs. He's a great two-way defenseman. You can see that. I, I very much like the player, even though it looked like he was falling off. And he can bear a lot of the defensive burden that, a lot of Edmonton defenders can't, right? Yeah, I completely so much value in that. Completely agree. Uh, funny enough, I, I don't have uh, more than just two years ago, but Ekholm was 15th for you two years ago. That's the only other time he's been on either of our lists. Um, okay. I think part of that That's was probably like, 15. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, part of that was probably he looked kind of washed last year slash just was hurt. But yeah, he did exactly what I thought he might when he stepped into Edmonton, just kind of like, put everyone in their rightful place on that decor and deserves a yep. lot of credit for it. And um, it's funny because anywhere from like 14 and up is kind of where a tier starts. So um, 14, I'll just say it right now, 14 is kind of where I have Ekblad and 14 and up. I, I feel good about having Ekblad on my list in terms of when he is healthy, he's clearly a top 20 defenseman. I think you can definitely argue, should he drop because of health? Um, but then from 15 down, Especially, I think anyone from like 15 to 23 on this list could be relatively interchangeable. And Ekholm definitely slots there, depending what you uh, like more than dislike. Yeah, I struggled specifically, like, like exactly like you said, the back half of this list is really, really difficult. And worse than just like similarly talented players, there's a lot of players who have pretty similar like outputs too. 
making it mm-hmm. even more difficult. Yeah, for sure. And so a guy I had 20, and I just didn't really know what to do with them. So I decided to stick him 20. He had such a good year that I couldn't leave him off the list, but it's uh Lindholm, Hampus. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I had him higher up just because this year was insane. But yeah, like he would could have won the Norris this year. Yeah, like he was so good. And the, so the reason I kept him at 20 is because much like Ekholm, but almost to more of a degree, he looked really washed. For, not washed, but like compared to what we saw peak campus Lindholm at yeah. four or five years ago, he dropped pretty aggressively over the past couple of years to the point where I don't think, I don't even know if he was on either of our lists for the past two years. Um, I doubt he was. He's no, been he, cooked or like looked it for a while. Yeah, like to the point where when they made that trade last year or two years ago or whatever the deadline it was, the two years ago, I guess now at the deadline, we were like, well, that's a decent pickup, probably a little overvalued, but like as a three, he'll be okay. And then he just stepped in and was just an elite number one that looked almost better than he did at any point in Anaheim. Yeah, he looked insane. And I also had no idea what to do. I put him 13 just because like the play driving numbers were there, but honestly... I'm excited to see what he looks like with Patrice Bergeron because like, or like as Boston kind of falls off in general, because I think it is fair to be a little bit skeptical of a guy who looks cooked, looks cooked, looks cooked. And then he goes to a team that's consistently one of the best XG teams in the league and then randomly becomes amazing. Again. Yeah. And like, it's the classic thing too, or like if he does that again next year, he'll shoot up into the top 10 easily. But yep. if he, drops off a little bit as Boston drops off. Yeah, he probably goes down to 25 or something like that, which makes him just such a hard guy to rank. Yeah, exactly. He is, but like, he if he does this again, he's like better Jacob Slavin. Yeah, literally. Crazy high praise. Yeah, and like, outside of Boston, if you asked anyone that right now, they'd probably say you're crazy. Because mm-hmm. contrary to what the... People's, people have been bringing up on Twitter with the stupid underrated stuff going around. Everyone knows Jacob Slavin is quite good at this point. Yes, absolutely. And he's another name I'm realizing I don't know if I had on my list, to be honest. That's funny. Oh, my God. I had him on the original list. I rewrote this thing six times, so I'm not surprised I'm missing people here. All right. Well, that yeah. solves a bit of a problem for me anyways. So This list specifically is really difficult. This um, is the hardest th- one. It always is, I think. Yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, did you have Josh Morrissey on your list anywhere? I didn't. Okay, so I don't I, had, I also had him right on the edge there. I'm going to make him an honorable mention as well. Actually, I'm not even going to make him an honorable mention. I'm just going to technically leave him off, I guess. But I, yeah, I don't know if I buy it either. I buy that he's probably not as bad as he looked for a couple of years. But also, I don't think he's anything close to the top 10 defender that people were trying to push him as this year. Yeah, that was absolutely insane. Like, I do buy he's in, like, the back half. If you really wanted to say he's 20, you're like, yep, I'll give you that. Fair enough. But, like, I'd rather bet on the upside of a guy like Quinn Hughes or something at 20 than Morrissey, who's kind of looked coach for a while and a little bit older. If I'm betting on offensive upside, both guys I have at 19 and 20, I, I much prefer. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. So, okay, I'll, I'll bump Josh Morrissey off the list, and then that helps me solve a problem anyways. Um, okay. Uh, who did you have at 19, then? Thomas Chabot. 
Okay, yeah, I had him. Uh, so this is one of the guys that I had on my original list and then went, shit, where, where did he go? I can't find him. Uh, I have him up at 15, but again, like 15 is kind of the thing of where I think it could be pretty interchangeable. Yeah, he's got, you know, similar-ish like goals ball replacement and whatnot to all the guys in this tier. Um, his is mainly through offense. A couple of the guys I have above him are a little bit above through defense. He's younger, so I actually probably should have moved him up a little bit relative to a couple of the guys that are going to be just in front of him, but this tier kind of makes sense for him. He's a number one defenseman, just not like a top 10 one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I had uh, Shabbat 15 just because I, it, it, he's funny. If you go by goals above replacement, goals above replacement absolutely loves this dude. He's like um, top 10 elite. Oh yeah, like top. I think he's top five this year, or no, top ten this year. And he had a down year this year. If you go by the past two years, he's top five. Past three years, he's like top five among defense. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, if you like, it's funny if you listen to Ottawa. Everyone thought Shabbat was somewhat disappointing this year, um, and I think that kind of shows you the potential he absolutely does have because he was easily a number one defenseman this year. And people in Ottawa were like, I don't know, is he worth his eight million dollars? It's like, yeah, yes, he is. Yeah, Thomas Shabbat is not the problem on the on the sentence decor, specifically pre-Chickrit last year. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like he's still playing a bull. He got to play with Zub, but even Zub wasn't great last year. He's fine, but um, like he plays a bulk of his minutes still with guys like Travis Hamanick or whatever. It's like I hope that he can play with Zub or Chitrin for a good amount of the year so you can see what he does with a competent partner. Because anytime they put him with Branstrom, the, the pair absolutely crushed it. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not like like with the uh, he plays a lot of minutes. So I assume he plays plenty with the first line, but with with Norris out and DeBrinket struggling, it's not like the sense forward core is a murderer's row of people playing with you either, unless you're playing with the top line specifically. Yep, absolutely. So um yeah, I, I think he's he's another guy where as the team gets better, he might be able to shoot up this list a little bit, but he is getting kind of sneaky older than people think as well. Like he's into his uh mid to late twenties now already as well. I think he's twenty seven now this season. So yeah, he's getting older than people think too. The best of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, at 19, I had a guy who had an amazing year this year, but I'm keeping him a little lower on the list just because I want to see it once or twice again because there was a couple years of not looking great as well. And that's uh, Rasmus Dalit. Oh, I have Dalit really high. Oh, interesting. We are um, very different on this one. So I had Dalit at 15 originally, and then I bumped him down. But... Like I, his year was phenomenal. Let's just say what it was, but I'm still a little worried if it was just lightning in a bottle for Buffalo versus like the previous two years of Deline, he was fine, but nowhere near this. And he looked really good his rookie year. And then in a couple of years where he dropped a lot and then last year was absolutely phenomenal. If we're just going off last year, he was top five defenseman. Um, but I'm, I just, I don't know. I kind of want to see it again before, like he's a dude much like I felt like with Jack Hughes last year where I probably could see him having him like six or seven on this list next year. I just, I need to see him have that year again. Yeah. I'm six. I'm buying into that. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, like if he repeats what he did this year, that's absolutely fair. Like he was a shutdown defenseman who was very solid offensively as well. Um, You know, the, the, the power play is uh, isolated results. Maybe weren't great, but um, like he was an absolute lockdown in his own end. Again, this is the first year that he has been both positive offensively and defensively. Um, so you could argue it all came together. You could argue that maybe it was a bit of an aberration. 
I'm not really sure. I want to think that it is probably more legit, but I'm not going all the way in on that yet. Especially because I guess my biggest drawback is this is the first year we saw him be like legit good defensively. Um, We've seen him be very good offensively before, but I need to see that again, I guess. Yeah, the offense isn't going anywhere. That is for sure. The defense is the question mark. And to be fair with me having him six, I do think there are five distinct guys at the top and then things kind of open up there. But yeah, like he reminds me, remember when like Nylander hadn't put together monster seasons, but we would just be like, buy like goals about place or whatever. But you'd be like, well, he can shoot really well. He's obviously a talented passer. He's really good in transition. He can skate really well. And he's like not horrible defensively, at which point, like what more do you want? It's clearly going to come. I feel like yep. Dalene's kind of like that too, or was kind of like that as a defenseman. Like he has a great shot. He can pass the puck. He's good in transition. He's not even bad. Well, he recently had good defensive results um, for the first time, but he did bear a decent amount of defensive responsibility on that decor. Like, it seems like everything coming together, especially for a guy who's like a borderline generationally talented defensive prospect. And like, we've seen it at a really young age. So um, I'm all in on it. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's... And the eye test is funny because, again, it's like, how do you use eye test? But it's like every time the dude played Ottawa that I watched him in Buffalo, it's like, how is this guy not a star? Like, yeah, he's he the is... easiest defenseman oh. to like, watch that isn't, you know, a car or whatever. Literally, his puck skills are amazing. He's such a smooth skater. It's awesome to watch. So, yeah, I could absolutely have him shooting up my list as well. But I want to see it one more year. So I had him at 19. Uh, we got to pick it up a little bit here. So I can give you my next two as well, just because. Uh, that'll give me 17 and 18. Uh, and it's two guys that I feel kind of similar about on the Calgary Flames. Uh, 17, I had Tanev and 16, I have Uyghur. Or sorry, 18, I had Tanev, 17, I had Uyghur. I wanted to bump Uyghur up so much, but I just, I I couldn't do it. I had Tanev 18 and Uyghur 16. Oh, so right. we were almost identical yet. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better than... Um, Weger, you know, for how disappointing he it felt he was offensively compared to his last year in uh, Florida there, he really picked it up defensively, uh, which is why I kept him on this list and almost wanted to bump him up more because I'm, I'm so impressed the fact that he had that second faucet to his game where, um, you know, he just remained a very solid player and was one of the few guys in Calgary who, even if the point total didn't look like it, didn't actually disappoint on year one of his contract. Yeah, Weger was legit this year. I like what you said too. Like that's a lot of versatility because he's had elite offensive results, at least underlying results, which is all you really care about with defenders um, in the past. And then playing like Norris level defensive zone play, that's that's pretty good. Now I would like to see him put both of them together at the same time, which hasn't necessarily been the case. But uh, yeah, he's a very versatile defenseman. Yep, I, I completely agree. And then Tanev, bit of a down year for his standards, but still was like very solid defensively as well. Like I'm pretty sure he still led uh, in defensive war for evolving hockey. Um, again, not going to provide too much offense, but it's just been one of the, if not the best defensive defensemen for a number of years now. And, you know, I got to see it not happen before I don't have him on this list. But there's exactly. definitely an upside cap, right? Like, yeah, because he's never going to do anything offensively, but, you know, he's been 
an elite defensive defender almost his entire career. So I'm with you there. The second he stops, I'll dock him for it, but he hasn't stopped yet. So good for him. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, all right. How about you give me your 17? Because then you have Ekholm 15, Weger 16, Tanev 18, Shabbat 19. He was 20, so you'll have your 15 to 20 down. Who did you have at 17? This is one of the more controversial ones. Probably the most off the top of my head. Maybe Dallas with our big split, but I have Miro Heiskanen. interesting so i had him up the list and i didn't i have him up at seven um that makes sense like he is he was another one that just looks amazing and that's kind of so i'm glad this is actually this is going to be a a fun discussion because i'm glad you brought this up because i have him at seven and i went i feel like that people are going to say that's still low but to me it felt a little high I am leaning into pretty heavily still playoff results where I've seen him be very, very good in the playoffs multiple times. And I will give that to his benefit. Um, his just regular season underlying numbers though, aren't they're that iPod for an yeah. defenseman. They're, they're bad, which is why I docked them in the playoffs. Cause that's usually where I watch early spend my Wednesday nights watching stars games, but playoffs, I will. He is, they rely on him defensively like absolutely no one else, and it's not even close. And he drives transition, and he looks well, looks good defensively. You can see he has all of the tools to be elite. I have a theory with him, which is could explain the chasm. And if I'm wrong, this will be why I'm wrong. Because all his micro stats look good, and then the macro stats look bad. I think RAPM, because Dallas is a good team and always has good results, must be giving the credit at even strength to the forwards, not Tyskinen. And I, I think would, where you rate him depends on that. That makes sense to me. I also know since they've brought in Ryan Suter that they played him, I think, a lot together. And Suter has just apparently been abysmal. Again, I also don't watch a ton of Dallas Star games just like throughout the week. But every time I hear like someone like Dmitry Filipovich talk about it, he's disgusted with how they use their defense court. <laughs> Yeah, and so maybe that's holding Heiskanen's results back, too. It could just be, like, a chemistry thing. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. I, it, it's definitely an interesting thing of, like, yeah, like, I, I definitely agree where I think if this, and maybe I should have him lower just because of it, but, yeah, his um his on-ice numbers definitely, as over an 82-game season, and for the past couple of years, because it's not like this is the first year it's happened. It has been underwhelming for a little while, but then, yeah, like, when you watch him in the playoffs, you go, there's no way they can be that. It, it's almost like the Deline effect for me, where it's like, there's no way it can be this bad. They're asking him to play like 26 minutes a night and do absolutely everything for this team. Yeah, you know, watch him go to like double overtime games and still just hard carry the defensive core and everything. He's a fun one because like why we might be wrong on him is actually interesting. Whereas like, say next year, Tanev is on this list. It's probably just going to be because he got hurt or he got old. Mm-hmm. It's not a particularly interesting conversation. It's bound to happen to him at some point. But like Heiskanen are players like him with huge chasms between how they look and how their numbers are always really, really cool to me. Yep, absolutely agree. Um, and that's a good leeway into my next guy, who are, this is probably going to be the first guy I really get screamed at for having this low, but it's Victor Hedman at 16. Interesting. Okay. I still left Hedman in the top tier. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so... His numbers, and he's another one where I docked him solely because he 
cannot stay healthy either. Um, His numbers have been like really, really bad for a couple of years, but I think it's probably because of injury, but he like literally hasn't played good enough that I can do anything else with it. In my opinion. Yeah. His 2020 to 2021 numbers were bad when he played injured. So that was, everybody thought of that as like a failure of RAPM. The fact that RAPM was able to recognize the injured player is like a huge win for that level of player analysis, by the way, that conversation pissed me off. But, uh, and then he came back, he was good last year. And then he struggled again this year, especially defensively. But I think he was hurt. And I hate when people do this, but I'm doing it anyways, only because it's Victor freaking Hedman. He had, I forget what game in the playoffs, but like he came back. It was game three when he came back. Yeah, came back from an injury and was just the best player on the ice for either team in a series between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning, which makes it very difficult to be the best player on the ice, and he just clearly was. So I'm like, you know what? My life's on the line. I I would think I'd still take a bat on Victor Edmund in a game. Yeah, and like I don't think that's unreasonable logic, which like I I had him when I made my first list up at like five, and then I looked, I was like, like he had a negative goals above replacement this year. Yeah, yeah. And, the offensive stats were not as good as they were, and the defense just cratered. Yeah, and like last year he had nineteen point eight goals above replacement, which I have to I haven't looked, but I would imagine ranks like top ten. Uh, three years ago. Level. Yeah, in the three years ago, he had 9.3. So that was his injured year, 54 games played in that shortened season out of 56. Um, so obviously 9.3, you got to take that on a, a bit of a curve as well because you just can't play 82 games. Um, but still, like, just did not look like himself at times during that year, especially near the end of it um, when he was clearly hurt. And then 18.1 the year before in 66 games. Again, so he's gone like Norris level, hurt, Norris level, hurt and atrocious. And then, yeah, when, when he was in the playoffs, that – that game three, they ended up losing the game, but it was, he did everything he could to make sure Tampa was winning that game. Yeah. You know who I think Hedman is? Is defensive Mark Stone. Mm-hmm. That's a good, good, uh, good equation for him, I think. Just like when he's healthy, he's definitely in the top tier, but God, what do you do with him? Because, you know, <laughs> you can't use evolving hockey's data p- to predict health. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think I probably bumped him down a little more, even versus an Ekblad, maybe that I punished for injury just because he is older. Like, it's not like he's a huge body, too. Like, yeah, and heavy, heavy minutes. Yeah. And he's basically played extra seasons on people because of how good Tampa's been, even for people his age. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, how long did you have him? Did you have him fifth? Adam, five, the end of the top tier of. Interesting. Okay. So our, our lists are definitely shaping up to be different, but makes for good discussion. Um, so I have my 14 down. I also have two Hughes at 12. You have Lindholm at 13. So who's your 14? I had Dougie. Nice. Okay. I had him up a little bit more as well. Um, I had him up in eighth. Okay. I think that on a permanent basis, absolutely makes sense. I dinged him a little bit because they're starting to, not that he's, you know, playing small minutes or anything, but his minutes starting to dial back a little bit. So I think, I think this kind of general range makes sense. He's an elite offensive defenseman still good on the power play, good at even strength. And he isn't horrible defensively, which is all you can really ask of somebody that good offensively. Yeah. Eight. 
Aiden almost felt high just like I, I don't I didn't really dock him for the minutes played thing because I think that's just naturally his team getting better too. Like this was the best team he has, and even yeah, the best defense core he's had in a very long time. It makes sense he will lose some ice time, right? But um yeah. and it's probably gonna get worse as they start to work. Like they're gonna want to give Nemec some good looks and whatnot. Yep. And honestly, I could see that helping his point totals or if he keeps more rested or whatever, where instead of having to play 25 minutes a night, he's playing 22, but it's, you know, using more energy during those 22. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a more efficient way to use. Them. Yeah. So yeah, I had him up at eight. Um, And some of that, you know, eight, I don't know. I, I felt like that was the right range for him, but also I almost felt like it was more him doing that. Less him do being, unreal to get up to eight and i just don't have confidence in some of the guys around him either where it's like i don't know where to put some of these guys so i'm gonna put him right around eight yeah i had four guys at the top and then honestly i said that it's like different tiers but like honestly after the four guys at the top i'd accept arguments from like pretty much anybody in any spot it's kind of just personal preference it's funny because i had a very top i almost say I had a very clear top four and then a very clear fifth as well. So I'm going to be interested to see where this either just forgot about someone or if he slides in somewhere else. But we'll get to that. I have in feeling a... he's my seven. I'm calling that shot now, but we'll see who it, who it is. Okay, that that one, just knowing knowing the, the type of players you like, it definitely uh, would not surprise me. So we will see, um, see if that is the case as we go. But... Uh, before we go any further, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 replaces key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one, replacing your multivitamin, multimineral, pre and probiotic, immunity support, and more. That means AG1 does more for your body and saves you time, money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right. Uh, so you have your 13 and down then, and then fifth and sixth. Uh, I have my 7th and 8th and 12th and then 14th and down. So I'll give you my 13th. A guy where, depending on what data you use, I think he could probably even be higher. Um, but because he's so one facet of the game, I kept him down at 13. And that's Adam Pellick. Okay. I had him 11. Yep, that's fair enough. Right in the same tier there. Um, I said Tanev's been one of the best defensive defensemen in the game. I think Pellick probably has a good argument for that throne as well, if not uh, the argument for that throne in terms yeah. of shutdown defender when you think of the modern day one. Exactly. He's he's the best defensive player on a team that's just always amazing defensively. Yep. And like, and unlike, so in past years, we like definitely had problems separating him and Ryan Pulak. Whereas like this year, Pulak was bad defensively just wait if you use isolated numbers anyways and pellick was absolutely phenomenal again yeah the the models are really starting to lean heavily towards towards pellick relative to pulak as time goes on and like i think it made sense that we were skeptical and didn't know who to give credit to earlier on but this has been year over year that pellick looks better so at some point we just have to call a spade a spade Yep, and it's funny because he's been kind of in this range every year. Uh, I am as an honorable mention two years ago, Udom 12. I had him 12 last year, Udom 9, and then this year I have 13, you have 11. Uh, Pulak, we had 
Uh, I had him nine two years ago, so I definitely gave more to Pulak than I did Pelic, which was wrong. You didn't have him on your list two years ago. Last year, I had Pulak 15, so three spots behind Pelic. You had him 17, uh, so about six spots, and I'm assuming you don't have him on your list this year. No, I don't. No, I don't either, so... Um, which feels right just given what we've seen. So definitely an interesting one. But yeah, Pelic is uh, one of the few guys where if you think about uh, very, very good defensive defensemen who aren't going to provide too much offense, it's not like he's a black hole offensively, but he definitely doesn't uh, run the offense. And especially this year was a bit of a down year for him offensively versus the past two maybe, but unreal in his own end. Like he's been that for five, five years now, basically. Yeah, he's kind of the inverse of Dougie Hamilton. <laughs> You're yep. one of the best in the league at one of the two aspects of the game. So as long as you can get to like league average at the other one, you're elite. Yep, absolutely. Uh, who did you have at 12? At 12, I had one that might be controversial given he just won the Norris. I have Eric Carlson. I had him at 10 and I put him at 10 because I had no freaking idea what to do with him. Okay, yeah. Like... He's awful defensively, and while he is clearly amazing defensively and would be on every team, it's pretty clear some of the point total stuff is only available to him because there's nobody else worth else worth giving the puck to in San Jose. Yep, it's the classic, like, someone's got to score for this damn team. Um, you got to give them credit for doing it. But, yeah, it's clear that him winning the Norris this year, I still think he's probably who I would have voted for, but... It was not near as clear as when he was just number one on these lists for 2013 through 18 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And like, especially, I also talked to him a little bit because he's, he's getting old. So anything when you're talking, you're just going to start to hurt you. Um, even if, you know, he was eight coming into last year or whatever and lived up to that, just talk him a little bit as he continues to age. But yeah, he's interesting. He's still awesome to watch. But the defense is so bad at this point. He's become what everyone thought he was in his peak. And that's a dude who just said, screw defense. I'm going to put up my 90 points and you guys figure out the rest. Yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> just makes me want to see him on a good team even more to see if they can use that properly. Because I think I there could be this. absolute value there. But it's got to be the right fit. Yeah, there is. There might even be, like, not from a points perspective, because he's just never going to get the touches on a good team. But there might even be more value on a good team, because you can probably hide the defense in a way that Santa, like Matt Benning or whoever, just isn't hiding that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch as he, uh, you know, keeps going, and if they do make a trade for him or not. Uh, I had him at 10, and the guy I had 11 was a guy I feel pretty similar about who was hurt this year, unfortunately, which is why I have him a spot under and maybe not a spot above, and that's Roman Yossi. Okay. Yeah, I had him 10. Yep. So, again, same kind of range. Uh, I just grouped the two of these guys together because, again, like I think Carlson proved this year that he can still be as good as Yossi is offensively. It's probably a coin toss of which one's defensively worst at this point in the career. Um, I've seen Carlson be okay defensively. I've never seen Yossi be that. So um, I, and Yossi was, I think he was hurt for part of this year as well. So I gave Carlson a slight edge, but they are very, very similar players at this point in their career. 
Yeah, they're both basically wingers, opposite-handedness yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, I probably should have given Carlson the edge just because, like, his Norris season was more recent. Because you'll see, two years ago, close or won it last year, didn't you? Two years ago, he was the second. I think McCarr won it, but yeah, okay. he was second. Yeah, so right up there, very, very recently. Same, same tier of player. Fun to watch. You know, elite defenseman. Yep, exactly. And, you know, it's, uh, again, it makes sense. Yossi last year was sixth on my board and eighth on yours. Didn't have as great of a season this year, slides down a little bit. Uh, two years ago, I had him 11th, you had him 13th. So, been kind of in this range for a couple of years now with who are seeing the low end of variance and the high end variance with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Okay, so I do think, so we both, we're now, Carlson was 10, Yossi was 10 for you. We now have seven players available for our top nine here. You already have five or six scratched off. I have seven and eight. Who did you have at number nine on your board? I wonder if they're gonna they gotta be the same seven, I think. I have Shea Theodore. I also have Shea Theodore here. Ooh, look at that. Best defenseman on a cup winning team. Yep. Pretty good uh thing to have on your resume. Yep, absolutely. And that's you know, kind of like he's another one where if you just look at the regular season stats, they're not as eye-popping as you would think, probably. Yeah, he missed some time this year, too. Yep. Um, and good. Petrangelo was another name I had on my long list originally, and you know, people probably are going to be wondering why we haven't uh, had him. Spoiler, I don't have him on the top of my list here, either. Um, I don't either. Yeah. I didn't really think about him. No, me either. Like, I had him on my very long list as, like, around 30, 32, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, Theodore was just the best player on a cup-winning team. Like, I had him as high as six on this list, and then I moved him down a little bit uh, just because the regular season. But honestly, I, I could be talked into moving him up to six again. Like, even yeah. just looking at it now, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I should, but I'm going to leave him here. You're talking to the president of the Shea Theodore fan club going back to, like, 2017. I could, yeah. I could be talking about that. That's that's got to be one of our best early calls. We were in on Shea Theodore. So yeah, we much were more. over the moon for Vegas when they got him. Yeah, like, I, like, we liked him before Vegas. Yeah, we've been big Shea Theodore. We've been pumping his tires literally his entire career. So to see him be the best defenseman on a company team is a fun little bit of vindication. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, yeah, I assume we probably have the last six players remaining just in a different order. Uh, so my eight Hamilton, seven Heiskin. Give me your eight. My eight is Jacob Slavin. That's who I have at six, and I debated switching him in with these other two slash Theodore. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jacob Slavin's a weird one because he's, he's a very fun defenseman, but a very boring defenseman at the same time. Like he just kind of is what he is and has been for so long that anyone paying attention to hockey knows. Yep. Um, I don't know if you remember what we talked about when we talked about him last year. Um, I do not. But I, I have a very distinct memory that of what we said, and I'm pretty sure you could just copy and paste it now. The reason I have him so high is that I don't think on any given year he's the sixth best oh, defenseman yeah. in the league. Yeah. But he's been a top 10 defenseman for like seven years now, and not even like Victor Hedman can say he's done that. Yeah. Yeah. Not Hedman. Not Carlson. Not prime like he's more consistent than like prime doubt he ever was stuff like yep. that like he's just so, very very good and has been for an insanely long time yep exactly and like compared to even 
a guy like like obviously we just saw Theodore do it. Like I think Slavin can be the number one on a cup winning team. He's been very close. They've been in a com- couple conference finals now. Um, but I, I do think the upsides maybe capped a little bit, even especially compared to like a Deline or a Headman or whatever. But he's been he's just so like the floor is so high for him that it just naturally bumps him up. Whereas maybe if we're going with a forward, I would have him like if he was a forward like that, I would probably have him down closer to 12th or 13th. But that consistency is so critical for a defenseman and so helpful. Yeah, because it's so much more rare. And like when your elite forwards pop off, you win the Stanley Cup. So I yeah. feel like I would chase upside more on the up front than on the blue line. As you get closer to the net, my goal is to just not die. And Slavin does that quite well. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, so now I do feel pretty good that your seven's probably who I have in my five. Uh, yeah. And that's Jared Spurgeon? That is. All right. Yep. Um, I, I'm definitely leaning heavily into the analytics on this one. But, like, I think even analytics people sleep on him a little bit. Um, oh, they definitely do. It doesn't matter what metric you look at. This dude is a freaking monster when it comes to defense. Like, yep. And, and but, similar to Slavin, he has been for forever. Literally, he is. I'm just looking at his isolated impact. The last time he was even remotely close to not positive defensively was 2015 16, where he was still 0.2% into the positive defensively. Like, he, it was good. But, like, Every other year since, it has ranged from 6.5 to 10.5 in his isolated impacts and basically been that for his entire, like, 14-year career. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking at just his RAPM over the years. The last year, I would consider it not a slam dunk top four defenseman just by eyeballing it as 2011-12. Yeah, like, it is just – it's absolutely insane. Um, RAPM loves him. Isolated impacts love him. Uh, goals above replacement, like like maybe not quite as high on him, but still very high, especially for a mainly defensive forward who's peaked at 40 points in his career. Um, I think, yeah, the only difference is that he's never been able to supply the offense that a couple of the guys above him on this list do. But just defensively, he is the best defensive defenseman in the game, but I don't consider him like your norm because he's 5'9". Like, I don't consider him like a, a Chris Tan of defensive defenseman, but he is the best player at defense in the NHL right now, in my opinion. And in terms of just defense, like, I think there's a couple guys higher on this list are so good at offense, you could argue that, but he is just unreal. Yeah, he's amazing. There's like a non-zero chance that he's the most underrated, like in the public eye, because he's points. most underrated player in the history of the sport. Yeah, I I was I thought you were gonna say right now, and I was gonna say I think it's almost a lock to be honest. And yeah, like he, I bet you when he retires, there will be a bunch of people that say this dude wasn't ever even close to a Hall of Famer. Whereas, like he should be first ballot as soon as he lays puts them down. Yep, you could make a pretty decent argument that his NHL career, when it comes to scoring more goals than you allow, which is the point of hockey, not winning international tournaments which you basically have to have been Canadian to do. I think Spurgeon might be Canadian, so that could be unfair. But like at driving goal differential in NHL, he's probably a better defenseman than Subban or Doughty. Yeah, like... Who will yeah, both like, um, be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe not people Subban. look at you like you're crazy if you try to suggest Spurgeon better than Doughty, though. Yeah. Even today, I bet. Yep. Yeah, and Doughty, Doughty did peak higher, I would bet, by pretty much any metric. But like... 
the consistency of Spurgeon is absolutely insane. And it's not like he's a compiler who's been, you know, the forward equivalent of putting up 60-point seasons. There's been a lot of genuinely elite play-driving seasons from him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's it's often he doesn't have the points, unfortunately, because he can't compile. Like, he's just been so good at play-driving. And maybe if you want to argue – because there has been a couple of years where it looks like he's been very good offensively as well. And the points haven't really translated. Maybe you can argue that, you know, and we know Minnesota is such a good defensive team. It's a little inflated, but again, at some point you got to give someone the credit for being a good defensive team. And when it's your best player constantly posting elite defensive results, it seems like a good enough bet. He's a good reason why they're an elite defensive team. Exactly. That's like, Chris was her YOLO on Twitter was talking about like Bergeron about how he thinks his defensive results are overrated because Boston's a very good defensive team. But it's like, if a team's been really, really good defensively for a decade and all the models say that what the guy who's their best player is really, really good defensively, that that checks out to me. That's probably a, a causal reason as to why the defensive results are there, right? Yep, absolutely. So all right, into our top four, we have the Top four slots open. So last year we had the exact same top five in the exact same order. That won't happen this year, but I wonder if the top four will be the same or not. I could see it. I think the top two will be the same, but I could see three and four changing. We'll see. Who did you have a four? At four, I have, I think this one will be the same. Devon takes. Yep, me too. Okay. I, I feel pretty good actually about the top three being the same then, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I think... If you're just looking purely at numbers, not separating teammates or anything, you could probably make an argument for Taves to be as high as two. And that's kind of why I think the tier ends at four and then Spurgeon's his own tier in my kind of list because I think Taves is probably, like I put him fourth just naturally and looking at the evidence, I, I feel good about that. But he is an absolutely unreal defenseman who probably gets underrated because he's plays with Makar so much. Yeah, he definitely does. When in reality, like, McCarr misses plenty of time, and so do all of the Colorado studs. If Devontae's was just a product of the people around him, we would be able to suss that out at this point. He is legitimately just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's very clear that, uh, you know, he can run his own pairing if he needs to. Um, they're so good together that why would you do that? Um, but... Yeah, like he he does more than anyone thinks that uh, he does. Yep. Yeah. If and if he keeps us up, what I just said about Jared Spurgeon, like he could be one of those guys as well, where he's literally might be like a generationally underrated player. Yeah, absolutely. And like it's funny too because I'm you know there was I I'm pretty sure his contract is due at the end of this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That'll and I know. Be interesting. Well, and that's the thing, right? I know there was already talk in Colorado, but like, do you keep him? Do you move on from him? Like, I don't think you can move on from him. And I especially don't think you can do that because unfortunately for him, I don't think that he is going to have the numbers to dictate what he probably deserves on an open market. Yeah, I honestly think his best bet is probably the McAvoy. And McAvoy had RFA years, I guess. But like, I think that's like the ceiling for his comparison, which I think Devin Tay's probably worth more than 9.5 to true talent. Yeah, and honestly, I could see him even going a little less than that just because, again, like you're eating McAvoy's entire uh, prime. prime. 
versus yeah. a 30 year old Devon Tave signing. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the back boy team is the absolute ceiling and it's too yeah. bad because he's provided a lot more value than that for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right. Uh, number three, then who did he have? I couldn't, I didn't have me to put him to this year, but I have Charlie McAvoy. Oh, so we switch. I have McAvoy too, still. Um, we can look at second him. best at five on five, probably. He just yep. can't play in a power play like Adam Fox can. Yep, exactly. And, and again, I think it's very clear. I don't think there's uh, like you can you can twist my arm either way about Fox two or McAvoy two. Um, these two are very very close. Different players, very weirdly, but very close in value, in my opinion. Yeah, they get there in completely different ways, but yeah, it's pretty much dealer's choice. If you uh, already have, say, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, and Patrice Bergeron, so you don't really need a power play quarterback, I would much prefer Charlie McAvoy. Uh, but if you're, if you're, you have good forwards, but not quite that good, and you really need some help on the power play, you probably prefer Adam Fox, which, funny enough, is exactly how it works out for both their teams. Yeah, they're the perfect fits, whereas like Fox's skill set is what keeps the Rangers going. Really, I mean, obviously with an elite goaltender, but um, like the fact that he can do what he does on the power play and move the way he moves the puck is just absolutely insane. And then, yeah, for the Bruins, I mean, maybe if you want to make an argument against McAvoy, we did watch Lindholm step into the number one position and look like an absolute God for the start of this year. Um, but McAvoy's done it for so long that I have a hard time believing. And there's a reason that, when Lindholm did it and McAvoy came back and did it, that this was a team that set the record for points in the NHL ever. Um, yeah, they went nuclear. Yeah. So, you know, McAvoy's done it for so long that I still have him there. And, and yeah, like I just, he, he was hurt at times this, uh, at the beginning of this year, if I'm not mistaken. So I didn't dock him as much for, you know, maybe his goals above replacement don't look quite as uh, uh, shiny as they might in, in other years, but he's just so dominant at five on five. And, when so much of the game's at that pace, I, I just, you know, I, I lean a little more towards him, but Fox is such an outstanding player. That shouldn't be anything negative towards him either. Yeah, I agree. And to the McAvoy, like, trying to figure out kind of who's who th- thing in Boston, like, similar to the abs with Devontae, Hayes, all of the good Boston players tend to miss time. If mm-hmm. McAvoy was secretly just being propped up by them, we'd figure it out. And even like Bergeron specifically, who I think is responsible for at least propping up some of everybody essentially in Boston. Like Bergeron plays second line minutes. If you're a number one defenseman <laughs> playing number one minutes, a guy playing second line center minutes isn't going to be enough to just like trend. Like if you suck without him, that's a lot of your minutes. You're going to figure it out. And then the only guy who doesn't really miss time is Pasternak. But I love Pasternak. He obviously drives goals really, really well. But I don't think like the play driving chops of David Pasternak are good enough to just prop you up to look that good. No, especially not in your own end, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Same with like, yeah, exactly. And even same with like Brad Marchand. Like, it's not like Brad Marchand's a selkie level winger or anything like that in his own end. No, exactly. And again, even if he was, like, he misses time. So you wouldn't be able to figure it out. Yep, exactly. So, and then number one, um, again, not very hard to figure out for the. Yeah, second year running. Uh, Kale McCarr taking the number one spot. We both had him number one last year. We both had him number two, two years ago. Um, Did we have one, Hedman? You had McAvoy and I had Hedman. 
Okay. Yeah, it's been the same. The big four have kind of been, or big five here, have all kind of been hanging around for a while, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so two years ago, I had Hedman one. Uh, you had him four. I had him three. You had him three last year. And then this year, you had him five. I had him way down due to injury. Uh, two years ago, I had McCarr second. You had him second as well, and we had him one. Uh, you had Fox third two years ago. I had him fourth. We both had him fourth last year, second and third. So, Ben, same thing. And then two years ago, we both had Dougie five. And then okay. Devontae yeah. was five two years uh, last year. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, the big I four have... has definitely been the, the stables. I write, uh, I write out some reasons, just some notes to have for everybody on these lists. And my reason for Makar is LOL. The only other player who gets that reason is McDavid. Yeah, literally. And and that's why it's like I almost feel bad because, um, you know, I, I feel less bad because we just talked great about Devon Taves and it's not like the uh, the Avalanche have uh, Avalanche fans have uh, had their lack in the spotlight here uh, over the past uh, couple lists that yeah. we've done. But yeah, much like McDavid and how I always said it was like with Carlson when I was listening to these lists uh, growing up, it's like, what, what more can you say? Like the dude is such a seamless skater. He's so good with the puck. He can play defense, like he's he's good in his own end. He is absolutely elite offensively. You know, like yeah, he he could be a first line winger on his shot. Yeah, like defender, and like, like a good, like an all star level first line winger on his shot. I think the the reason Roman Yossi didn't win the Norris two years ago is because Makar was the better all round defender, and Yossi had just set like a record for modern day NHL defenseman points or whatever it was, and Makar was off by ten. Yeah, well, and he's like, still good defensively too. Yeah, exactly. And, and he was just so much better in every facet of the game, transition, everything like that. Like Yossi had ninety six points in eighty games and twenty three goals, which people were going nuts about. McCarr had twenty eight goals in seventy seven games and eighty six points. So yeah. if you if you give the games played, he'd almost be there as well. So um, yeah, it's just absolutely insane. Like he's just he's the best and genuinely. What would have to happen next year for him not to be one on this list at this point? He'd probably have to A, miss the whole season or a a good chunk of the season and B, Fox or McAvoy or maybe Devon Taves, I guess, would absolutely, absolutely pop the hell off, right? If one of Fox and McAvoy won the Norris and Makar played, I don't even think missing the season could do it. I think he would have to play and be legitimately horrible while not injured, which won't happen. That's probably a good point, because, yeah, if he was injured, we'd all be like, well, they won the Norris, but if Makar was there, it would have been way closer. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even think an injury can do it. You have to see it decline in front of our own eyes, because they ask so much of him and Taze. Like, the Avs are a good team, but they ask a ton of those two. Oh, yeah. Like, and it was just so obvious. Like, I think he went down for a couple games uh, last year, and the team went basically just went, oh my God, what on earth are we supposed to do right now? Like he played 60 games last year and there's a reason the Avalanche were an absolute dogfight for first in the division all the way until the final game of the season. They were like out of the playoffs, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they started the year in like November or December or whatever. Like, yeah, and you know, they obviously, they didn't have Landeskog, but kept expecting him back. So they didn't use his cap space and everything. Like there was a bunch of injuries, but yeah, like Kale McCarr was the most important one. When you miss yeah. 22 games from your number one defenseman, like that's what's going to happen, right? So, yeah, McKinnon's probably like more important just because, you know, forwards are generally better, but like 
they definitely ask more of Makar. Like, McKinnon doesn't really bear as much defensive responsibility as a lot of number one centers, at which point, like, they ask Makar to chip in offensively in transition and defensively, like, very, very heavily. They ask more of him than any player on the team. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think they kind of, maybe not on purpose asked for it, but need McKinnon to absolutely drive that offense sometimes. Like, just take it by him. Like, in the playoffs, there was three games where McKinnon went, I'm not losing this game. I don't care what yep. you guys want. We are not. I'm making sure we do not lose this game. Whereas he has the ability to do that as a center where McCarr has gotten close to that. At time and has done that as defense, which makes him number one on this list. But it's just not as frequent as a defense as you can do it as a center. Yeah. When you're when you're Nathan McKinnon, good. If you're playing at your best, there's pretty much nothing a defenseman can do save summon Bobby or to be as impactful as you. It's just not going to happen. Almost yep. certainly. Exactly. So that is our list. I hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, We will be back next week with the always fun top 20 goalie list where Chase and I usually have to get to top 10 before we even have some degree of confidence that the goalie (laughs) could be good. Um, Honestly, I let me I just closed the list, but let me just pull up the list again. I'm going to read off our top 20 goalies from last year just to give a a sneak peek of how much it might have changed over the past 82 games plus for each team um, as I stall here. Because I remember there's a couple of names I remember I had last year that I don't even know if they posted a 900 save percentage this year. (laughs) So goalies. here was our top 20 list last year. Uh, I went Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Shesterkin, Saros, Sorokin as my top five. You went Shesterkin, Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Saros, Sorokin. Uh, so same top five, different order. Uh, we both had Demko six, both had Markstrom seven. Uh, I had Kemper eight, Fleury nine, and uh, um, Anderson ten. You had Anderson eight, Kemper nine, Ottinger ten. Uh, I went Varlamov eleven, Swayman twelve, Jari thirteen, Jack Campbell fourteen is who I was thinking of, and Ottinger fifteen. Uh, you had Jari 11, Ranta 12, Huso 13, Varlamov 14, Flurry 15. Uh, I went Huso 16, Bobrovsky 17, Quick 18, uh, Mike Smith 19, and Nadelkovich 20. You had uh, Nadelkovich 16, Cam Talbot 17, Jordan Bennington 18, Elvis Mislurkins 19, and John Gibson 20. Honorable mentions were Reimer, Gibson, Forsberg, Talbot, Grubauer, and for you were Campbell, Reimer, Bobrovsky, Smith, and Allen. So there are multiple names on both of our lists that are not in the league anymore, or not a top two, even starter on their team. That is brutal. What a. It's funny with the worst with like a 20 specifically with goalies. Like by 20, you're not even a starter. You're just like a 1A. Literally. Like. I listed Anton Forsberg because he had a good 36 games in Ottawa the night the, the year before. And I was like, I don't know. And you know what the worst part is? He's probably going to be around there again because he had a decent stretch in Ottawa until he blew out both his knees. I just <laughs> like, didn't suck. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, my God. So uh, that's that's the uh, list from last year, though. So people get to, to look forward to what we have uh, this year because – I definitely know mine's changing. The, the top of the list is weirdly still oddly pretty easy to put down, in my opinion, like the top six or seven, I would say. But yeah, after seven, it is just a complete crapshoot. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Was Olmark yeah. mentioned at all on there? No, Olmark was not at all because he just came from Buffalo where he had like a 905 for three years. 
Yeah, the 940. I feel like the move would be just tweet something good and bad about every goalie. And you just yep. go retweet yourself when it happens. Yep, exactly. Um, but anyways, that is uh, that is something to look forward to for everyone next week. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, you can find all my work at lastwordinhockey.com. Uh, I had a new article this week out about uh, the Vladimir Tarasenko signing and why it actually means more questions than answers for the Sens right now. Um, so definitely go check that out. You can check all of Chase's Work out on a sub stack and on Twitter at CMHockey66. Myself on Twitter at NHL Send and stuff. Thank you everyone so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye.